You are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves. I'm also the co-editor of Dunking With Wolves, the Timberwolves site on the fan side of network. Happy Friday, everybody. Happy weekend. The Timberwolves are have a rare Friday night off. They didn't play Thursday either and then have a back-to-back this weekend, Saturday on the road at Washington and Sunday at home against the Phoenix Suns. Um, so a unique weekend of games for the Timberwolves. Um, there's quite a bit of news to come to, to talk about here off the top related to Malik Beasley's suspension, the Coaches Association, and, and their take on the Timberwolves hiring of Chris Finch this week, um, early in the week. And then also uh, today, I really want to dive into the principles of the Chris Finch offense, or at least what we think Finch is going to be running in Minnesota based on his history and so far his first two games at the helm of the Timberwolves. And then we'll close with a quick preview of Saturday night's game against the Wizards and what to expect out of that game. This weekend, we'll have a post-game pod following Saturday's game that will also preview Sunday's game against the Phoenix Suns. Um, The Wizards, the Wolves did see earlier this season. The Suns, the Timberwolves have not seen. So there will be quite a bit to talk about um, prior to that game. Before we get into today's show, though, a quick reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere that you get podcasts. Of course, that includes iTunes. You can also follow on Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, anywhere. Um, you can also follow on Twitter at Locked on T-Wolves. It's at Locked on T-Wolves. Don't forget the T and at B-Beacon. It's B-Beacon, two B's, two E's, C-K-E-N. Okay, so let's start with the news. Um, You've you've probably already heard the news that Malik Beasley was suspended by the NBA for 12 games. It was first reported by Shams Sharania of The Athletic and Stadium. He uh, tweeted out, on Thursday evening that he, um, he he lists him in, in the tweet. It says, Malik Beasley, a most improved player candidate, is being suspended 12 games by the NBA for conduct stemming from charges this offseason. And then he included Malik Beasley's statement that he released. Beasley's statement was, quote, I will take this time to reflect on my decisions. I apologize to all the great fans out there who have supported me during this difficult time. And I promise I'll come back very soon as a better person and player. Um so obviously this is in relation to the charges that he ended up pleading guilty to over the off season. I think it was a September incident um, where he was charged with threats of violence, initially charged with, uh, uh, I don't know, a, a lower degree drug possession. That charge was dropped and he ended up um, reaching a deal where he's going to serve, I think it's 120 days in jail or a a workhouse or a, I think there's a home arrest option following the season, which, you know, they, they basically told him he can serve it after the season's over in May and then he'll have a a period of probation. But that, that had been resolved a month or so ago, but the NBA was going to then launch their own investigation once the legal uh, process had run its course. Now that that's done, the league analyzed the situation and decided to suspend him 12 games, which would be a lot in a regular season. Um, but in a shortened season, that's over 16. It's almost 17% of the season is now a suspension for Malik Beasley. Um, and in terms of the impact it has on him from a salary perspective and the Timberwolves cap, um, Bobby Marks of ESPN tweeted out that the suspension will cost Malik Beasley $1.1 million in salary. The Timberwolves will get half of that in a credit toward the luxury tax at $550,000. And the crazy thing, this is another way to look at this, 
his absence, he's not going to play again until March 27th versus Houston, or at least that's when he's eligible to return. So that's over a month that he'll be out. Of course, the, the all-star breaks in there. So that's like a, an eight or nine day break for the Wolves. Um, but that plus 12 games is over a month of the season. So he'll come back and get to play, you know, the tail end of March, all of April and the first part of May. Um, but 12 games is significant and uh, maybe a little bit harsher than I was expecting, given that he had, you know, reached, you know, he, he did get, he did get a sentence, right? I mean, he was, he was not found innocent of these charges. Um, but you know, obviously the league doesn't want to to mess around with this and they made a decision and, um, and the wolves were certainly expecting there to be some lengthy at some form of an absence for, um, for Malik Beasley and, and it's going to be 12 games. Um, so, I mean, what does that mean? I mean, pretty clearly, we're going to see a lot more Jalen Noel. He's been getting the backup minutes at at virtually the same role. He doesn't play a lot of minutes with Beasley, um, so he'll play more. Um, D'Angelo Russell's out. Otherwise, I would say we'd see more Russell and McLaughlin or Russell and Rubio or McLaughlin and Rubio, you know. But with Russell out, it's really Jalen Noel that's going to benefit the most. And then now Jarrett Culver, he was active against Milwaukee on, uh, or excuse me, against Chicago on Wednesday and ended up not seeing the floor. But he is apparently available. He's been practicing and taking in and in contact drills on the court. So he probably will play this weekend and will have a shot at earning some real rotation minutes. It could help Josh Akogi, who's been kind of hovering in the in the seven to fifteen minute mark or range here for the last couple of weeks, three weeks or so. Um, he played fairly well in the game against the Bulls on Wednesday. So I would think Akogi and Noel benefit first. Culver, if he's able to work his way back and be effective, we'll also get a shot. Um, the Wolves need some wing, they need some perimeter defense. And Culver provides that. He's not quite the defender that Akogi is, but he's got a little bit more size. Um, and he's got a better offensive upside. He's a better ball handler. I mean, there's things that Culver does do better than Josh Akogi, even if in a vacuum, Akogi's the better player. So um, all three of those guys are going to get a little more opportunity. This, to me, is the thing I'm looking forward to seeing the most is whether Jalen Noel, if given the opportunity to play 25 plus minutes a game, and he's going to have that chance. If he plays well, he will do that. He will get the chance to do that. Can he cement himself as, as a real option for this team moving forward? Um, this week, there was a, a, a deadline for his deal to become fully guaranteed. And obviously the Wolves did not allow him to walk. They did not waive him, which makes a ton of sense because he's mostly looked good. Um, he, he's had a blip, a couple blips here and there recently, but clearly he's got that sixth men score type mentality. And also now that, I mean, they knew that the Beasley suspension was coming down the pike Culver, you know, with the ankle, Akogi struggling, they need some wing depth. And, and Jalen Noel is the guy that's going to get the opportunity to show what he can do, um, here in the near term. So more opportunity for Noel, hopefully Beasley can come back on time be in shape, be ready to go and get back into a rhythm. Obviously he's been having an incredible year shooting over 40% from three averaging more than 20 points per game. So it's, it's poor timing, but, um, you know, it's, it's opportunity for other players as well. Um, the other kind of news type note that I wanted to hit here off the top is the coaches association. Um, I guess the actual title is national basketball coaches association issued a statement from Rick Carla, who's the president of the association and then their executive director named David Fogel issued a statement this week on Wednesday, actually, that said, quote, it's always bittersweet when one coach is fired and another is hired, but this is not about individual, individual coaches. We would be remiss to not acknowledge a deeper concern and level of disappointment with the Minnesota head coach hiring process. The NBCA understands and respects each organization's right to hire and fire whomever and whenever it chooses, but it is also our responsibility to point out when an organization fails to conduct a thorough and transparent search of candidates from a wide range of diverse 
backgrounds, end quote. Um, obviously, the reference here is to the Wolves firing Ryan Saunders late on Sunday and it being reported that they were already agreeing to a deal with Chris Finch on Sunday and then officially announcing it on Monday. So less than 24 hours in between, it was really like 12 hours between the firing and the announcement that they were going to be hiring Chris Finch, 24 hours in between the firing and the press conference for the new coach. And just unprecedented breakneck speed midseason hiring an assistant from another team staff. Now, Rosas's counter to this is obviously that he interviewed many candidates uh, less than two years prior, including Finch, also including David Vanterpool, the current associate head coach, and, uh, you know, uh, a minority coaching candidate, um, among others. And Rosas also points to, and he's, he said this in a statement, he said this in the presser on Monday, but the the diversity of the Wolves front office is is really, um, I mean, it's pretty vast. I mean, from Joe Branch, who's who's black and a former agent, to um, Gianluca Pascucci, who is Italian and was an international scout in the Nets front office, to Robbie Sika, who, of course, is is a doctor, and that's his background, um, and, and others, um, Sashin Gupta as well. Um, the the it's just a, an extremely diverse front office um, that the Wolves have. And, and Rosas pointed to that as one of the reasons why, obviously, this in his mind, this wasn't a completely blind, you know, bias approach where they would, didn't consider minority candidates. They had interviewed, you know, plenty of candidates a couple of years ago. And, and I, I mean, I don't know that there's like necessarily a stipulation, like, for instance, in the NFL, there is the Rooney rule where teams have to interview a minority candidate. Um, for every every time there's a head coach opening, they have to they have to interview a minority candidate for the role. I, the NBA doesn't have an equivalent rule, um, and, and so I don't think the Wolves ran any violation of the rule. But basically, Rosa said, "Hey, look, my list of guys I wanted to hire was already updated. I interviewed all these guys a couple of years ago. You know, I know Vanterpool. He works in the organization now, and I'm making the, this decision based on those interviews a couple of years ago. Um, you know, a year and nine months ago or so. So." Um, I mean, it's a reasonable explanation if if he, you know, they interviewed Vanterpool and didn't hire him two years ago and now have seen him work up close and personal and still aren't hiring him, but gave him the opportunity to stay on as the associate head coach and the defensive coordinator for this team. And I talked on Monday's show after the the announcement of the the firing and the reported hiring of Finch that, I mean, Vanterpool has been the defensive coordinator for a defense that hasn't been very good. And so if you're going strictly on merit, he's put in the years and had a lot of success in Portland, but it's understandable why the Wolves would want to go outside of the organization. And and I think of any front office, it, it's hard to look at the Wolves and say, you know, they didn't seriously consider minority candidates. Rosas has, has done his best to have an extremely diverse front office. I didn't even mention Rosas himself, who's the first Latino uh, to lead a front office in the, in the NBA. And, um, you know, it, it's, so it's, I mean, both things can be true, right? I mean, they, they could have had a, a, they could have had blinders on in the process and still have a diverse front office. And I get that, but, um, it, it's, uh, I, I don't think that this is going to, carry on as something that's a real concern for, for Rosas or in terms of the outside perspective of Rosas. It doesn't mean that the optics were good. And I talked about that on Monday. I had Adam Morris from Locked on Nuggets on the show Tuesday, and he said the same thing. And you know, the way that I put it was, yeah, the Timberwolves right now can't even fire somebody in the right way. And that's basically what happened. Um, so it's understandable why there's lots of question marks around the way that this all went down and why the coaches association would stick up for, for coaches. Right. I mean, that makes a ton of sense, but, uh, you know, ultimately, I think this is this is going to kind of fade away, especially if Finch ends up doing a good job. And and obviously, we're 
less than a week into his tenure. So, you know, the, the jury's very much still out on that, but, um, Anyway, that's out there. The National Coaches Association is is not psyched about how the Wolves handled the situation. Next up, we're going to talk all about the Chris Finch offense to this point and what we've seen through the two games that of, of him as head coach, how the offense looks different and what to expect moving forward from this brand new offense. Before we do that, though, let's talk about betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over. But the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing, and MLB is right around the corner. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV, real-time updated odds and props, and almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website, it's betonline.ag, or use your mobile device to sign up today. Receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with the promo code LOCKEDON. That's a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with the promo code locked on bet online your online sportsbook experts today on the locked on today podcast is the relationship broken between Russell Wilson and the Seahawks get more of the sports news you need in less time with the locked on today podcast subscribe to locked on today wherever you get podcasts okay let's talk about the Timberwolves offense so Primarily, and, and and we talked a little about this earlier in the week, so I'm going to try not to repeat too much of that. But um, the offense that Chris Finch ran when he helped run the offense in Denver was the associate head coach there, and then also in New Orleans with Elvin Gentry for three years uh, before going to Toronto this year. The offenses that Finch has had a hand in have primarily been five out type offenses with bigs who can operate at the elbow um, in the mid post, kind of the elbow extended area of the floor, um, and he likes to use bigs that can handle the ball that are adept passers that can also shoot the ball a little bit. And the Nuggets offense back in 2016 and 17, he really opened up Jokic's game and and Nikola Jokic is, is a phenomenal passer, the best passing big man in the league. He goes to new Orleans and he has guys that are, are more, you know, looking to score first pass second into Marcus Cousins and Anthony Davis, but they're both good scorers and ball handlers in their own right, um, especially Anthony Davis. And they did a, a lot of the same stuff, um, but they added some other wrinkles in New Orleans. Basically, the principles of the offense that Chris Finch wants to run are that it's it's a continuity offense. Um, the, the, whole, the whole point of this offense is there's constant motion. Um, you're utilizing the skill set of of a big who is extremely skilled and can pass, who can um, you know find open shooters, find cutters, can turn and shoot himself or get to the basket, and also score in the post and be effective in the post. That's the goal of this offense. And Carl Anthony Towns is arguably the perfect fit for this type of an offense. Jokic is fantastic, and I'm and I'm not about to suggest that Towns is about to be a better player than Jokic in the next 12 months because I'm not. However. The ceiling of Towns in this offense, I believe, is every bit as high as Jokic because of the shooting upside. Um, Jokic is an otherworldly passer. I don't know that Towns ever gets to that level. But if he's an above average passer, and I think he already is for his position, if he's playing in the mid post, being, being able to observe the floor as the Wolves play in, again, a five out offense, which allows for plenty of space and, you know, cuts um, and, uh, you know, there's just a lot of reads that you can do out of this offense. I think that the sky really is the limit for Towns. And we saw this in the Bulls game on Wednesday. There were a couple of opportunities that Towns had in this in this play or in the set where he was able to just turn and shoot about an 18-footer where he's really, really good. Mid-range shots are fine if they're not 
ultra contested and if you're a really good mid-range shooter. And those things are usually true of Towns when he gets the ball at that spot of the floor. Is he has the size and length to get that shot up without it being contested. The defense has to play off a little bit and respect the drive because of Towns' long strides. I mean, from that spot on the floor, Towns can get to the rim in about two strides. Um, and also his passing ability. Um, and so because of that, he's going to get space and he's going to have the ability to drain 18-footers all game long if they run um, this this type of a, a set to get him the ball at that spot on the floor. Um, so that's one of the keys, and, and Towns is a perfect fit for it. Um, basically, it's it, that spot of the floor in this offense is called the read spot. Towns has the ability to to operate from whether it's it's in the high post at the free throw line or at the elbow, I should say, or maybe it's the elbow extended out a little bit closer to the, to the three point line. It's very hard to double team somebody in that spot on the floor. And if you go back and watch even a couple games ago, uh, say the Knicks game, um, the Knicks double team. This was Ryan Saunders last game coaching. The Knicks double teamed Towns in the post for much of the game, except for late when Taj Gibson was guarding him. And the way that the Wolves were spaced out and the amount of just stagnant play within the Wolves offense, it was really tough for Towns to operate how he wanted to. And it was easy to double team him too, especially when there's a lack of shooters on the floor. It's very hard to double in this mid post kind of high, you know, elbow spot on the floor. Because if you're doubling around the elbows, you're leaving open a, a pass to somebody underneath the basket. You're you're susceptible to back cuts, um, and there's going to be somebody open on the perimeter. It's just a very difficult spot on the floor to try and double. And because of that, Towns gets single coverage and can shoot that mid-range jumper, can get into the paint, or can throw to cutters, um, or can distribute to the perimeter, or go into a dribble handoff set, which we'll talk about here in a moment, uh, or a dribble handoff action out of that out of that place on the floor. Um, so because Towns is such a good mid-range shooter and because he's such a good passer, he can do all of those things. Another thing that the Wolves did, and you'll see this if you go back and watch the Bulls game on Wednesday, the Wolves used Towns in that spot on the floor and then allowed him to back down into a low post situation. So basically he's catching at about 18 feet, backing his defender down. By the time he's down, he's to the low post, he's got enough momentum going towards the rim. It's too late to double. If the double comes, Towns has an easy pass to make and the Wolves can rotate the ball. In fact, there's an example of this as the Wolves were making their comeback in the third quarter against the Bulls where they did just this. I think they actually ran it out of a, a of a horn set or a box set where Towns catches the ball right around the elbow. Um, there was a pick to kind of free him up. He backs into the low post. The Bulls bring a late double and he swings the ball to the opposite corner for a Malik Beasley three. Just a perfect pass and not a pass that everybody can make. But, and Beasley's also one of the best corner three point shooters in the league. And that was the perfect example of if the Bulls don't double, Town scores. If they do double, he kicks it to an open shooter. And thankfully, it was Beasley that he was able to get the ball to and not, you know, Josh Akogi or Ricky Rubio or somebody. Um, so, that's one of the key benefits to this is it also frees up the ability to get to the low post without a, an effective double team. Um, the other thing is that Towns is able to operate in dribble handoff situations from this spot on the floor, and it's so much more dynamic than just simply a dribble handoff, say, uh, at the top of the arc, um, you know, straight away from the basket outside the three-point line. It's more dynamic than, uh, you know, a Jared Vanderbilt dribble handoff would be. Towns in this role can fake the handoff and shoot. He can hand the ball off and act as a screener for Anthony Edwards getting downhill and trying to score. Um, there's a variety of things that you can do out of the dribble handoff and Towns is extremely dynamic anyway. Um, one more note on, on Towns in the post. So 
the Wolves went away from Cat post touches a little bit last year, and and obviously he was hurt. And then early this year when he came back, they were starting to get in the ball in the post a little bit more. And we're seeing the post game come back a little bit more league wide. It's almost like a market inefficiency thing where there's certain guys that are really good in the post. And if you're, it's just like mid range shots. If you're really good at it, it can still be a good play. If you're a really good post player and you can really truly open up the rest of the floor, get a good shot off, then it's fine. But just be, you know, teams aren't running out seven footers just because they're seven footers and running, you know, post sets to like, I don't know, pick a random seven footer from 10 years ago. That's not happening as much anymore. But Towns is really good in the post, as is Jokic, as are a few other guys. So, it, but it, but it's also getting him the ball in a creative way that, again, makes it difficult for the defense to double. I mean, too often this year, the Wolves just try and, you know, come down the floor, run a pick and roll, and Cat rolls right into the post, or, the, or he gets across screen and tries to set up in the post. But just in the Bulls game, Minnesota opened a couple of offensive sets in a box set where there were down screen set and then Towns would pop up and then back down and, and receive the the ball or he would be the one setting the down screen and he'd, he'd flip around and receive the post entry pass. Um, there's just been a little bit more creative action. They've been running a little bit of a four out set with Towns as the one post player. And then again, some creative action to get him with single coverage Um and, you know, we saw a couple of horn sets as well. And Saunders ran some horn sets too. Um, but, but again, it's about creative ways to get Cat the ball in the best places on the floor, which a lot of times is that mid post area. He can then go into, you know, dribble out to the perimeter. He can go dribble handoff. He can back himself into the low post. There's so many different options and it all runs through Cat as the fulcrum of the offense. And, and to this point, it's been really fun to watch. Um, the one interesting thing moving forward, and this will be something... We won't get to see now for a few weeks. But there's an argument to be made that this offense will be great for D'Angelo Russell. I mean, think about how many times Ricky Rubio's had shot opportunities this week already where he's either missed or, or passed up on a shot because it wasn't entirely open or, you know, he, I mean, he's, he's just not a knockdown shooter. Um, D'Angelo Russell is really good. I mean, he's a, like a 38, 39% three point shooter in catch and shoot situations, not shooting off the dribble. So, I mean, if Towns is finding D'Angelo Russell and Russell's, he's a pretty good cutter too, and, and he's big. And so, and I know he doesn't drive into the paint a lot, but he's a pretty good cutter. He understands spacing. He's a smart player. Um, so if Russell can play off the ball in this offense and everything's running through Towns, think of him as a light version of Jamal Murray on offense. He's not as athletic as Murray and, um, you know, both like to shoot in the mid range. Russell on dribble handoffs in this situation is going to be really deadly from the mid range. Um, and I mean, he's Russell's an example of somebody where if he's the shot selection is good, he's a fantastic mid range jump shooter. And that's a big part of his game. And, you know, an, an elbow jumper for D'Angelo Russell is like a layup for most players. Uh, it really is. It's just the problem is when he's taking the contested ones that just aren't good shots. They're early in the shot clock and, you know, it's just not the right read. But in a dribble handoff situation with Carl Anthony Towns, a lot of times a mostly open mid range shot for D'Angelo Russell will be a good read. But the one thing that's a little concerning is because Russell has the tendency to kind of dribble the air out of the ball. And the, the nature of this type of an offense is there's overall less dribbling because it's a continuity offense and guys are always cutting and filling, um, you know, backfilling where guys have cut you rotating into the vacant spots on the floor. And you, you don't need somebody standing in the perimeter and pounding the air out of the ball like D'Angelo Russell. Um, 
obviously the pick and roll is still going to be part of this. You know, they're still going to filter in some pick and rolls and the Russell Towns pick and roll is apparently really good. We don't really know because they've only played five games together, but it it would make sense that it would be. Um, So there's aspects to Russell's game that definitely fit this offense. And there's aspects that are a little bit more questionable, like, like his affinity for dribbling and likely Chris Finch isn't going to be too excited about the possibility of D'Angelo Russell dribbling for 12 seconds and then launching a contested long two with, with, uh, you know, 12 seconds on the shot clock. Um, so we'll see, we'll see how that all shakes out once Russell gets on the floor. But to this point, um, you know, all I can think about is having him on the court instead of Ricky Rubio in some of these sets would be that much more dynamic. Um, and, and I'm, I'm looking forward to finally seeing that. Um, so the offense as a whole, we'll keep an eye on how this thing develops in, in even from game one to game two, game one was like the first 10 minutes of the game were just pick and rolls. And then they started to work in a few things. The start of the the game against the bulls on Wednesday, game two of the Finch era, it started with some plays ran for Edwards, running him off stagger screens to try and get him the ball, get him going downhill, which I thought was really smart. And then basically they didn't run much pick and roll at all with Jordan McLaughlin. It was basically just, um, you know, a, a variety of different sets with towns in the high post and things like that. But with Rubio, they were running more pick and rolls and more sets for Edwards where he was handling the ball as well. So um, we'll see how that evolves over the next few games and and how much more Finch installs. Obviously after the all-star break, I think we'll have a better chance at seeing um, some of the other stuff that he might, he might put in. Okay. I want to finish the show by talking about the wizards, what they've been up to lately since the wolves last saw them back the first couple of weeks of the season. Um, and that'll be how we round out the show here today. Friday's on Locked On NBA. Join Anthony Irwin of Locked On Lakers and Adam Morris of Locked On Nuggets for a wrap-up of the biggest stories around the league. Anthony and Adam bring you game recaps, weekend previews, and a weekly NBA power ranking that you can't miss. Subscribe to the Locked On NBA podcast today, wherever you get podcasts. Okay, uh, let's talk about Wolves-Wizards. So the Wizards are... Um, they're no longer technically one of the league's worst teams. Um, I mean, they're still, I guess, kind of in that category. I suppose winning percentage wise, they're what, like fourth worst still. However, they've won a lot more games of late. Um, They actually went on a five game winning streak. They had that overtime comeback win against the Lakers on Monday of this week. So that would have been uh, the day after Ryan Saunders was fired the day before the Bucks game. Then since then, they lost to the Clippers in LA by 19. Um, And and then uh, they went to Denver on Thursday night and beat the Denver Nuggets in Denver. So they've won six out of their last seven, including overtime, or excuse me, road wins against the Nuggets, Lakers, and Blazers, home wins against the Celtics and Nuggets and the Rockets. So a really good stretch for Scott Brooks' team where it looked like I don't understand how he wasn't fired when they were 6-17 and and given how the Wizards have played the last couple of years. But Scott Brooks has hung on to his job and they've played a lot better lately. Overall for the season, most of the numbers still aren't pretty. The Wizards are the 29th team in the league in three-point shooting percentage. They're 27th in defensive rating. They're pretty middle of the pack in rebounding. They are number one in pace, um, which of course feeds into uh, at least the points per game, which they're giving up. They're 29th in giving up points per game as well, but their defensive rating is still 27th. So this is a bad defensive team that likes to play fast and feels like, I mean, that, that, I mean, that sounds a lot like the Timberwolves too, doesn't it? Um, now they're a better rebounding team than the Timberwolves. They've obviously got Bradley Beal, which, you know, I mean, Beal's been phenomenal this year. Um, and so 
the first time that these two teams matched up, the Wizards won, and this was back game, I think game five of the season for the Timberwolves. Let me pull up the uh, the box score real quick. But this was a game, there was no Towns, of course. This was game five. So the Wolves were 2-2 two two coming into this game. Remember, they had won the two games against Detroit and Utah, then lost two games in um, in Los Angeles against the Clippers and Lakers, returned home with no Towns, lost to the Wizards, who at the time were 0-5, and it wasn't all that close. I mean, it was at halftime. I mean, the Wolves were down by by three at halftime, but then the Wizards dropped a 40 spot in the third quarter and one going away by 21 points. Beal had 31 in that game and 31 and seven assists. The Timberwolves were led by 21 from Malik Beasley. They got 17 and six from Nas Reed in a starting role. D'Angelo Russell only had 14 points on six of 16 shooting. Anthony Edwards is still coming off the bench, and he had one of his better games from early in the season in this one. He had 17 points, although it took him 16 shots to do it. And um, Jake Lehman had 12 points off the bench in this one as well. So, um, I mean, it's not it's an okay matchup for the Timberwolves if they think they can slow down Bradley Beal and, and maybe Jarrett Culver. I mean, it's kind of a rude... Uh, return to action for Culver if they stick him on Bradley Beal. But I think there's a chance that happens. Josh Okogie is going to be given a chance to guard him. And really, that's the team, right? I mean, if you can slow down Bradley Beal to some extent, you've got a shot. Uh, There isn't really anybody else that scares you a ton on the Wizards roster. Uh, They've got some good players that aren't necessarily going to go off. I mean, they, you know, Robin Lopez has been quite good this year. Um, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, he's really kind of your only other guy that you're really, really worried about. Rui Hashimura has been good. Davis Bertans is questionable to play. Um, Denis Avija is there. He's a rookie. He's been okay so far this year. Um, so there just isn't much else you have to worry about in terms of the Wizards roster. But Beal's averaging 32.7 points per game. And, and I mean, he's only shooting 33% from three this year, but he's 48% from the field, which is uh, basically his career best. So it would tie for his career best over the course of a season. And, you know, the points per game is a career best. The rebound rate and, and rebounds per game would be a career best. So he's doing some of the other stuff better. And that's that's part of the reason why he's getting so much attention this year for a bad team. And and clearly he's a huge part of their recent, you know, winning five out of six. Suddenly the Beal trade conversations have already quieted down a little bit, um, whether or not they were ever serious or whether or not it makes sense that they would quiet down after a five out of six stretch. But um, at any rate, he's the guy that you got to worry about, not really anybody else. So Josh Kogi, Jarrett Culver, maybe even Jade McDaniels, although I, I could see that being a really tough matchup for Jaden. Um, all those guys are going to get a shot to try and slow down Bradley Beal in this game. Um, the Wolves, they should be able to get what they want against the Wizards, who are clearly a bottom five defensive team in the league. There's no rim protection on this Wizards team. They're last in blocks. They're a bad defensive team overall. So if the Wolves can get anything going towards the rim, and by that I mean Anthony Edwards, Dribble handoffs, I'll, I'll say this every show if I need to. Anthony Edwards should be getting the ball going downhill on a handoff, I don't know, like eight times a game, twice per quarter. There's no reason not to. That's when he's at his best. Um, now, his decision-making with the ball in his hands hasn't been great lately, but I think you just tell him, just score. Don't even think about anything else. Now, in the pick and roll, and that's part of the reason why he struggled in the pick and roll, there's a little bit more you have to parse and try and make decisions. But in a in a straight dribble handoff situation, just tell them to just jet to the rim and see what happens. Um, you know, dunk on somebody, get fouled, whatever. Um, but that sort of a thing should be effective against this Wizards team. And that's hopefully what the Timberwolves try and do is get Edwards going, obviously operate everything through Towns as they have under Finch so far. And then the other thing, and this we have to keep saying this, 
Towns has to stay out of foul trouble. I mean, if he doesn't fall out of that game against the Bulls, they probably win. Um, I suppose they probably call a different offensive play on the last series, and maybe Rubio doesn't get fouled and make three free throws. But, I mean, if you have Towns in the overtime, it's hard to say that the Wolves wouldn't have won. I mean, he would have been the best player on the floor. So Towns has to stay out of foul trouble. That goes without saying. Beal has to be checked. And the Wolves need to clear the glass. They need to attack offensively, get into the paint and try and score. They should have a real shot to beat this Wizards team. Um, I, I mean, should mention though, no Malik Beasley out with the suspension. So that matters too uh, for the Timberwolves in terms of an offense that's already been struggling, especially from outside the arc. Now you're looking at outside of towns. It's really Jalen Noel and maybe Jaden McDaniels are like your only players that you're really confident are truly above average three-point shooters on this team. I mean, there's nobody else with D'Angelo Russell out. Um, I mean, Beasley and Towns are both over 40%. Russell's right at 40%. And then it's McDaniels is 36.5%. Jordan McLaughlin's about 38% as well um, off the bench. And then everybody else is kind of league average or below. So shooting is going to continue to be an issue. And this is a game where the Wolves need to try and keep pace with the Wizards and Bradley Beal. Um, And so they're going to need to be efficient and effective offensively. All right, we'll be back. Uh, Of course, this is Saturday's game, not tonight, not Friday night, but Saturday night's game. We'll be back in between the Saturday and Sunday games with a post-game pod from Saturday and a look ahead to Sunday night's game at the Phoenix Suns. We'll talk all about the matchup against Rubio's most recent former team prior to Sunday night's game. Otherwise, that's all we have for today here at Locked On Wolves. Thanks again for listening to the Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Remember, the Locked On Network is your local experts on the biggest stories. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, wherever you get podcasts. You can also follow on Twitter at Locked On T Wolves or at B Beacon, two B's, two E's, C K E N. Once again, I'm Ben Beacon. This is the Locked On Wolves podcast, and we'll catch you next time.